If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board, while Willard's getting booking the guests in the legendary CHML newsroom, Jennifer McQueen. Here's Scott Thompson! Lots left over this week. It's been a, it's been a pretty active week. And guess what? It continues today. By the way, has anybody seen the Prime Minister? Huh? Crickets? Anybody? Anybody seen that? Anybody seen that? Oh, we got one hand at the back. Yes. Oh, he's in Thunder Bay this morning. Why? Announcement. There you go. Uh, that's really odd that the prime minister isn't around today because, number one, today is the 40th anniversary of his famous father and better prime minister, I would say, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, taking a walk in the snow and decided to pack it all in 40 years ago today. Is Justin thinking the same? Oh, can we be so lucky? Oh, it'd be like New Year's Eve. We'd be playing. We'd be playing 1999. We'd be playing Celebration. We'd be playing ever. We'd be playing all the anxiety. Uh, if that was to happen, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to overflow there. Uh, but, you know, just the fantasy there got me so excited. Uh, but, you know, so we're not sure exactly uh, why he is not in for two major, major announcements that have been today. Uh, is he taking a skate on the canal? Okay, but there's always life jackets. No. Anyway, uh, the search continues. Anyway, the, the, the big deal, the health minister, Holland, uh, tap dancing his way through the uh, NDP pharmacare bill, uh, and, and which, of course, let's be honest, until unless Jagmeet Singh had the prime minister pinned with his face to the mat until he said, uncle, there would be no pharmacare. And I'm not really sure what it's all about, and we're going to find out this afternoon. But I think it just involves uh, diabetes, drugs, and birth control at this point. Like, that's what it seems to be. And in some situations, they're just giving the money to do it, which is exactly what the provinces, to the provinces, which is exactly what they wanted to do in the first place, rather than making some grandioso government program to suck up more government employees and cost us more money. Because, again, we're catering to an extremely small percentage of the population, which needs to be catered to. But what does it do to everyone else who gets theirs a different way, their medication? So, again, very unusual that the health minister is making this announcement after Jagmeet Singh kind of spoiled the party on Friday. Uh, the prime minister nowhere to be found. And earlier as well, Anita Anand, Treasury Board, announcing uh, a complete refocus on their spending priorities. <laughs> Uh, to include housing, health care, and defense. And defense. When have you ever heard the liberals talk about spending on defense? So there's two major announcements going on and a major scandal. And that would be, well, two major scandals, if you want to count a rive can, but it's kind of dropped down the list now. Um, but this in regard to um, uh, the two fired man and woman, husband and wife scientists, uh, we now find out at the Winnipeg lab, we now find out that the prime minister's office covered up the infiltration of the Chinese Communist Party into this Winnipeg lab. Uh, for various reasons. This was all before the election, and it was also happening at the same time that Justin was working on that uh, vaccine deal with China that they ended up pulling out from underneath them. So, uh, like a big scandal today, plus two major announcements, uh, you know, confirming Jagmeet Singh's uh, and the NDP's pharmacare on at least two things anyway, and then Anita Anand announcing that, you know, we're going to completely change the direction of our spending. And then falling by the wayside, uh, uh, the Winnipeg lab story, which handles top secret deadly virus stuff. So, uh, and, and these people were deported, this husband and wife uh, scientist team, for working with the Chinese Communist Party, bringing students in, just all kinds of <laughs> weird stuff that shouldn't be allowed to happen as we... Uh, you know, again, this all prior to the last election, which there's allegations of Chinese Communist Party election interference. I mean, my goodness, how many more dots do we have to connect here? 
so two big announcements, one on the f- confirming the NDP's Pharmacare bill with the Liberals, and then the second one with Anita Anan in regard to the change or refocusing of spending. And then the scandal involving the Winnipeg Lab and the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, as well, the ArriveCan app, which, uh, you know, now we're finding out that some of the money went to a person who was actually a government employee. We're not even going to get to that today. You need a program just to follow all the crap that's going on with this government. And where is the prime minister? Has anybody seen? It's like, where's Waldo? Where's JT? Is he over here? Where's JT? Is he over there? Where is he? All this great stuff going on. And is he taking a walk in the snow? Perhaps going for a skate on the thawing canal? (laughs) Where is JT? Can he at least pretend he's interested in any of these decisions or any of these policies or any of these big announcements? Can he at least pretend he's got a handle on what's going on in Winnipeg and with the Rive can? Where is he? Maybe, you know, he's taking a, well, he's not. He's his, I I looked up his uh, itinerary and today he's in Thunder Bay. So whether that involves, there'd be snow in Thunder Bay. There'd still be snow up there. Maybe he's going for that walk. All right, enough. We were talking just last week, the other week, that uh, Canada's fertility fertility rate has hit the lowest its lowest point in history, 1.3, the average couple having kids, 1.3 child, <laughs> so children, there you go. Uh, and, and you know how you got to at least hit 2.1 if you want any growth. And obviously, immigration has been a key in helping uh, keep uh, Canada's population growing and such. But I, I remember back in the day... Uh, um, you know, some of the reason that people were having uh, less kids or, or or perhaps none at all was because of opportunity, education, uh, more and more women entering the workforce, uh, becoming professionals and and just generally more better educated, everybody. And so as a result, couples are waiting later to have kids, uh, fertility issues and such. And it just seemed that life was getting in the way at one point of us having more kids now. Now, uh, less to do with that and more to do with it. It's just too dang expensive. And many, up to about 65%, are saying, you know, ah, it's too expensive for us to have kids, which when you think about it is a terrible reason um, not to. And I'll leave it at that. Let's bring in Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos Public Affairs, with us now. Sean, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. I am. Thank you. Have you ever seen this result before where cost has been uh, the the reason for not having kids? What has it traditionally been? Well, I, I think part of it is a, a paradigm shift uh, over the generations where uh, having children is not as important to people when it comes to uh, fulfilling, having a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we ask people what what are those things that are important to them? The first was having a job or career that they enjoy. The second yeah. was having close friends. The third was having a lot of money. And the fourth is having children. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, our parents' generation, perhaps it was, well, you get married, you buy a house and you have kids. And obviously fewer people are getting married than they used to. Buying a house is, you know, unattainable for many people, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe if you take those things away, then it's it's natural that that we're, you know, likely to have fewer children. What's remarkable about the data is that when we asked uh, people of childbearing age what the ideal number of children to have is, only twelve percent said zero. Only twelve percent said that they'd mm. ideally have no kids. So you know, there's still nine in ten Canadians who would want to have children, but something's holding them back. And as you identified, that something is primarily money. Uh, obviously, cost a factor, but you bring in a, a valid point. It's affordability on everything. It, it's 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 costing us all more to live, and including if you add one or two more people uh, to the family. So that would be affordability affordability issues like groceries, rent, uh, housing, what have you, and then obviously education after that. So add that onto the pressures we're fear we're seeing in a post COVID world. Uh, it, it doesn't look too uh, too hopeful. What do we do? 
do to solve this? Is Can we create an environment where we look at this differently, or is immigration the, the only answer here? Well, it's likely a combination of, of both. But you know, with birth rates getting as low as they are, the question remains as to whether or not we can even you know, welcome enough people to uh, sustain our population, if, if not grow it, of course. Um, so there are a number of, of I guess, policy options uh, available to, to lawmakers uh, to try to encourage people to have more children. But, you know, the, the efficacy of that is is questionable because we've yeah. seen many sort of Scandinavian, other European countries taking some of these steps and they're only quite marginal in, in improving um, fertility rates there. So, for example, 82% would support tax credits for parents with children in the household. Uh, eight in 10 support increased access to subsidized childcare or legislation to make work more flexible for parents. Three quarters support longer and better paid paternity and paternity leave for parents. If we go down the list, a majority support every intervention that we uh, mentioned, mm. even uh, 61% uh, supporting and covering the cost of fertility tests and in vitro fertilization. Of course, British Columbia just actually came out with legislation that they, they would fund you know, one round of, of IVF. So you know, these are remarkable, remarkable level of support here for Canadians to address, to address the issue. But you know, the other side is desire, and some people just you know don't don't have that that desire because they're prioritizing other things in their lives. And, you know, like you said about ethics and such, okay, we're going to make it really profitable for the average family, the average couple to have kids. Uh, is that really the incentive to be starting a family? You know, considering there's so many yeah. different views of what is going on in 2024. What about, and, and this was fascinating, 300 grand approximately to raise a kid till 17. Uh, are couples looking at that and going, holy smokes, we could buy a, put a down payment on a house with that. Yeah, no, no doubt they are. Um, the 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 Canadian context here is is that Canadians are third most concerned about inflation, interest rates, or just called affordability in the world, hmm. and it's on par with places like Turkey and Argentina, where inflation is you know a hundred percent or more. Um, and uh, we know from our polling for Global News that. A majority of, of households and certainly parents with kids in the household are worried about putting food on the table. So the last thing you need is more children with mouths to feed uh, because then those affordability concerns become even even more acute. So this is, you know, in large part, a rational decision uh, that Canadians feel is is solving you know, their immediate problem at hand, which is being able to afford a family. The, the unintended consequence is if you go to the macro level instead of the micro, that uh, low fertility rates have serious consequences for our population. We, you know, we don't have a tax base to support our aging population. Uh, the economy doesn't grow, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's no wonder that a majority of Canadians feel that it's this is bad news. A low, low fertility rate is bad news. But one in three actually think it's good news because there are already enough people on, on the planet. And if we look at the results under those people at the age of 35, nearly half of them think that it's actually good news that we have lower fertility rates. And guess what? Younger people, those are the childbearing years. Wow, what a discussion. Sean Simpson with us, VP of Ipsos Public Affairs. Fascinating information in regard to what the new family is going to look like moving forward. Sean, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. This was fascinating because we talked about this last week, and that is uh, the the PharmaCare announcement. And we were just fortunate enough to have booked uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh on the show for Friday. And lo and behold, on Friday, he makes the announcement of the PharmaCare plan. And I asked him all kinds of questions about how it would work and what it was. And it was just, no, we were getting uh, universal single-payer coverage uh, in PharmaCare, that it was, you know, and I remember even asking him, well, what, how, what about the other 90% that are uh, already covered with private or through their employer or what have you? And, and there was no real answer. And this was another question that I asked, what does it include? And he really didn't say anything. And as you dig down more and dig down more, and today there's finally announcement uh, from the, the the liberal government acknowledging that the plan is is actually going to go through. It really is just about a uh, diabetes drug and uh, birth control drugs. 
So it's really just two categories, and it's really being sold like this is a universal uh, single-payer system for everything. And then as you eventually get to it, and my goodness, it's taken at least three or four days to, to find out that other medications may be added in the future. But right now, it looks like, and, and it's great to see, I, mean, I guess, if this is what is the best idea, and many aren't sure it is, to get this remaining uh, percentage of the population covered who don't have it through their employer or or what have you. So um, it's finally being announced, or at least we're getting some sort of clarity as to what it does involve. Let's try to expand on that. David Baxter is with us, digital broadcast journalist with Global News in Ottawa and here now. David, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Scott. So, David, is that accurate? Once we've got the, the details here and, and, and break it down, this is really for diabetes and birth control at this point. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, so that's going to be the main two uh, types of drugs covered off the hop here. So diabetes, that's going to cover insulin uh, for type 1, type 2 diabetes, a few other medications in there. Uh, it's looking to get coverage for insulin pumps and some similar devices. Uh, one th- big thing that won't be covered, uh, Ozempic and drugs of that nature, uh, those aren't included in the formulary at this point. And then uh, on the contraception front, it's uh, very similar to what already exists in British Columbia. So that's coverage for uh, birth control pills, uh, IUDs, emergency contraception. That's going to be covered in the first run here. And really what the legislation does, it's a framework for an eventual universal program. So what that means is here, at first, once the legislation passes, it's just going to be like, here is like the legal mechanism for it to exist in place. And eventually more drugs will be added to the formulary as the years go by. But the legislation just introduced today, it still has to go through the House of Commons. So that's going to be it's just going to be like debate in the House itself, a committee study, possibly some amendments coming up. Then it has to go through the Senate before it all receives royal assent and eventually gets passed into law. But of course, healthcare delivery, it's a provincial jurisdiction. So ultimately, what the federal government is going to have to do to make anything work on a practical level is negotiate individual deals with every province and territory to get pharmacare programs in place because pharmacists, they can't charge the cost of these drugs directly to the the auto law. They have to charge it to the provinces. So there's a lot of work that has to happen before any of this actually becomes an on-the-ground reality for anyone who may not have coverage for uh, diabetes drugs or looking for uh, help on paying for uh, contraceptives. Is there any sort of timeline, David, as to when a a a person will be able to walk into a pharmacist and, and be able to utilize all this? At this point, no concrete timeline because, of course, those negotiations have not begun here for any of these deals and, you know, in some provinces, uh, Quebec and Alberta, they've already signaled, no, we don't want to be part of this uh, federal program. We want to do our own thing in Quebec's case and in Alberta's case. They just want whatever their per capita funding envelope would be of uh, the National Pharmacare Plan. Um, you know, Minister Mark Holland was asked about that today. He says, you know, he did speak with all the uh, provincial and territorial health ministers before releasing the legislation. And uh, in the cases of Alberta and Quebec, he feels like there is potential ground to make up there and they could come to some understanding. But this is going to be a long time coming. Uh, This would be very similar to what happened with a $10 a day daycare where the legislation was first introduced. And it did take quite a while for some provinces to get on board. If I remember correctly, it was over a year in some cases. So it might not be until 2025. Some people are seeing uh, their diabetes drugs or uh, contraceptives covered by Ottawa. Uh, it, obviously, anything that helps get people help is is a good thing. But has there been any comments as to whether this is the most effective way to do this, the most efficient way to do this? Because we've talked to the Ontario Pharmacy Association, and they said, no, they don't agree with this. They're into a mixed thing, and that it's really about funding uh, the, the programs that the province already has in place as opposed to coming up with another template. I remember talking to the Ontario Dental Association about the same thing with dental care. So... Uh, again, it sounds good because everybody wants everybody to get the help that they need, but is this the right way to go about doing it, or are we making the same mistakes we made with healthcare and now just using that broken template to add pharmacare? 
Any comment on that from uh, whether it's uh, opposition or those in the industry? Uh, yeah. So for uh, yeah, I spoke to a rep from the uh, Canadian Pharmacists Association uh, here in Ottawa earlier today, and yeah, she was she was raising some similar concerns where they have ways to you know build provinces for drugs covered on the under the various provincial plans uh, through private health care as well. I mean, so private health insurance as well. So that's just a big question on the back end of this is for pharmacists, how is this all going to work? They don't really know yet. And unfortunately, we probably aren't going to know more details on that until we actually see these negotiations shake out. So once again, that's going to be quite a ways down the road before we actually know how it's going to work on a practical level beyond here's the big blue sky idea, but the nitty gritty, there's still a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross for lack of a better word. Are you surprised? Uh, where's the prime minister today? I understand his itinerary says he's in Thunder Bay. Are you surprised the prime minister isn't a part of this decision or or this announcement, rather, or the announcement that uh, Anita Annan made earlier today about the changing in direction of finances and such? Uh, are you surprised that the prime minister isn't in on this? Uh, no, I'm not surprised there. Uh, from, from day one, this was always uh, driven uh, through the health ministry, so... Mark Holland, he'd be the government lead there. Uh, Don Davies, uh, for anyone who watched the announcement today, uh, the gentleman with the, from the NDP, he was the health critic. Uh, they were the two uh, main elected officials involved in these negotiations and really representing the perspectives of their parties. So no, I'm not too surprised that the um, you know the prime minister was not there. Um, I'm, I was uh, tied up uh, tied up uh, covering the pharmacare beat, so I haven't been able to play too too much catch up on uh, what Minister Anand had to say about the government estimates and future spending plans. Uh, but, uh, you know, for the future, for the budget that's going to come out likely sometime next month, uh, potentially in April, don't expect to see costing for pharmacare in that document. Uh, the minister, uh, Mark Holland, uh, said as much uh, earlier today on that front. Um, he says, odds are this program, it's not being implemented in the 2024-2025 fiscal year. So, don't expect to see any real costing there. Uh, however, he did estimate uh, that covering uh, contraceptives and diabetes medication costs somewhere in the ballpark of $1.5 billion uh, that could start rolling out late in the fiscal year if some of these uh, deals with the provinces and territories start to be finalized and actually take practical effect. Uh, but likely we won't see more costing on how much pharmacare would be until sometime in uh, 2025, 2026. All right, David Baxter with us, digital broadcast journalist with Global News in Ottawa on the Pharmacare legislation announcement today. David, thank you so much for the time. Be well. No problem. Same to you, Scott. Yesterday, we were talking about surge pricing and Wendy's. Uh, They were going to start using surge pricing, which basically means uh, more demand. I guess during more demand periods, like dinner and lunch, the prices would go up uh, midday at night, perhaps when they're not so much, the prices would come down. And by the time we got Bruce Winder on to talk about all of this, it seems that they've changed their position on all of it. And I don't think he's surprised to talk about it. Bruce Winder with us, retail analyst and author, author of Retail Before, During and After COVID-19 and Here Now. Bruce, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah, I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show. So I'm watching you on media last night, and I'm thinking, ooh, we've got to get Bruce on on this. And by the time, of course, we get you on, it's already reversed the decision. And uh, I guess uh, I'm assuming you're not surprised? Yeah, I'm not too surprised because there was quite a bit of blowback, you know, across all media channels once uh, the CEO released some discussion about this on the earnings call earlier this week. And now I guess they're changed their tune and they said, no, no, we're not going to raise prices during peak hours. We're just going to lower them during non-peak hours. So a little bit of a walk back on that. So do you think this was the original plan, uh, plan Bruce? Because that was my first question was, so how much does my burger cost during each time? Yeah, I'm not really sure this was the original plan. I mean, there might be some spin doctors at work here. Because um, normally when companies um, administer and roll out dynamic pricing, it's it's really to make more money because yeah. they can charge more during peak times. And that's part of the calculus that says, hey, we can make more money. It's also about them trying to smooth over their demand, which they're still doing, you know, by bringing people in and off peak hours to try to sort of utilize their uh, staff more. So um, normally it's sort of both sides of it. How companies make money is using the up and the down. 
Uh, do you think surge pricing was invented to give people a discount or to get more money? <laughs> I think it's to make more money. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what everyone talks about in the uh, in the world is when you have uh, surge pricing. Um, you know, there's a way to sort of optimize your pricing, if you will, or maximize your profits because you know you condition your consumers to pay more during times that are busy, and you start to increase your margins, your profit margins during that time. So why does it work for Uber? doesn't work for fast food. Well, I think Uber has a bit of a duopoly, right? I mean, if you look at Uber, there's Uber and Lyft, and that's about it, right? So, you know, mm. I, I, wouldn't, I don't think anyone really loves it. And I think what Uber does, the reason Uber does it too, is they have drivers, and what they're claiming anyways is that they have to raise rates to incent drivers to get on the road when there's snowstorms and things because there's not enough drivers participating. That's what they say anyways. But I think it's also, you know, a way to make more money as well. How does Wendy handle, uh, Wendy's handle this now as far as damage control? You said it's still in place, but it won't be uh, used to, it, to raise prices. Is that good enough or is the public going to buy into that? Well, I think they'll still get some benefit out of it because if they're lowering a little bit of price during the non-peak hours, they're going to draw in people, maybe more people than they normally would, you know, um, and they might be able, if they if they plan it right, they might be able to make a little more money by selling people, you know, burgers and fries at off hours, albeit at a lower a lower price. We also don't know how much they're going to discount it during non-peak hours to whether it's 2% or 5% or what have you. Uh, obviously, if you need a ride, you need a ride. Food, it's a different story. Um, uh, do you think that this will take away from business during the peak hour? So in other words, uh, where we're going to go to, uh, you know, to get a burger at 6 o'clock, but let's wait till uh, or do it at 4 or 5 or, or do it at 7 and it'll be cheaper. So you're just taking the same client and pushing it over to a different time. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's one of the risks they have, right, is that people are going to go earlier and sort of cherry pick and arbitrage the pricing. Um, hopefully, though, what they'll find is that, you know, they'll, they'll draw in people who maybe weren't going to go to them during the non-peak hours and see if they can entice them with a bit of a discount. But they've kind of dug themselves into a bit of a PR hole now. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can just kind of quiet it down for a while. And then it's a, it's a bit of a lesson for other companies to be careful. You know, whenever you implement a strategy, that isn't very customer focused. It's inward focused. You know, it normally doesn't end well. You really have to put the customer first and whatever you do should be customer driven. Uh, is this a topic in the boardrooms of McDonald's and Burger King right now? Oh, for sure. They're all talking about it saying, wow, I'm glad they tried it. And we did. <laughs> they got egg on their face. Pardon the pun this week. Egg McMuffin, I guess. And um, and now, you know, I, I think McDonald's and everyone were hoping it would have worked because there would have been an opportunity for them to join the party and make more money. But right. I think there's going to be a quick retreat on this one now. All right. Bruce Winder with us, retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. Wendy's uh, repositioning itself on surge pricing with the burger. Bruce, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Yeah, you too, Scott. Take care. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Today is the 40th anniversary of Pierre Elliott Trudeau's Walk in the Snow. We have not seen the Prime Minister today. Is there anything to that? I know, I know. I'll stop. And uh, I've checked his itinerary. He's supposed to be in Thunder Bay today, but I found it fascinating that he was nowhere around with the big uh, uh, pharmacare announcement with the NDP from Friday and then the announcement with the health minister today. Uh, no JT and even Anita Anan, Treasury uh, Minister, announcing refocusing of finances for the government, going to refocus on military, uh, housing, and health care, which is uh, a complete 180. And why the Prime Minister isn't involved, I'm not sure. Henry Jasek, let's ask him. Professor Emeritus, political science professor, McMaster University, here now. Henry, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. I am. Thank you, Scott. Are you surprised, Henry, that the Prime Minister isn't around for the pharmacare announcements? Uh, well, the thing is, he it is a problem in the sense that if he really makes a big deal about it, people are going to say, well, this was the NDP's uh, idea, and he may be adding, you know, uh, you know, good, good, uh, you know, support for the NDP among people. So it is, and it, and, you know, the NDP has the trouble too. Is you know, if they start, you know, talking about it and 
claiming you know they're doing well, then he they may give unwittingly give support to uh, Trudeau. So it's it's ticklish when there's two there's two um, in a sense two uh, parents here <laughs> of this of this particular issue. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it. Two parents. All right, and yeah. and Anita and Ann making the uh, announcement today about refocusing where their finances are going, uh, housing and health care. No surprise there, but adding military to the to the find. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, well I think of course the you know all sorts of people, important people in the world have been criticizing. Uh, uh, the Canadian government for not doing its fair share in terms of NATO, and we never have. And they, although the government argues we have in a way, but really they get a lot of criticism. And Zelensky is the latest who has, who has criticized them. He thanks you know for uh, us for what he gets, but he you know he's, he has these you know comments that well someday everybody will be giving the appropriate amount uh, amount to NATO, and of course he's talking about Canada. So yeah, so and I think I think the public uh, basically is you know there's large groups of people in the in the public who essentially think you know that uh, you know we really we really should be helping Zelensky. This is really a problem because they contrast it to the U.S. is not, uh, and so they probably that we together with other uh, NATO countries have to pick up the. You know the the burden for a while until the end, until the U.S. you know sorts out whether it's going to be able to uh, you know basically give the, the weapons that that are needed. All right, so let's talk about the legendary walk of forty years ago. Uh, many talking about it this year. Obviously, the the prime minister not around today. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this anniversary and and all of the hoopla that people like me are making? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, first of all, I mean to think about uh, the elder Trudeau. He often liked to put on, you know, uh, and play around with the the media. You know, we know he did that the mm-hmm. whole time. And I think that he, you know, he he came to a decision, I think, that he said, I did everything I wanted to do. I'm tired of this, but I have to make it, you know, of something dramatic so I can talk. So he comes up with this idea that somehow this walk in the snow and he had sort of a, you know. Did we just lose Henry? Uh, <laughs> we're having some technical difficulties. We'll see if we can get Henry there. Oh, we lost Henry. All right. We'll see if we can get Henry back. Uh, so anyway, uh, the point that, uh, Henry was getting to was that, um, uh, today marks the 40th anniversary of the walk in the snow. Um, as Henry was alluding to, perhaps the decision was, uh, made quite a bit earlier, but that being said, uh, you know, there, there's always uh, fun and drama in that sort of thing. And obviously the parallel we were drawing today was that the prime minister has not been around. We understand with his itinerary, his itinerary that he is in uh, Thunder Bay today. And Henry Jasek joins us again. Henry, are you there? Yes, I am. This was my fault. Sorry. That's okay. No problem. Uh, continue your thought. Yeah, well, I think the... Um that the pre- that the elder Trudeau liked to you know put on you know and uh, things to the to the press, and as I was saying, I think that he he had decided he he's done what he wanted to do. He'd been in there long enough. He figured you know I, he accomplished, particularly in his last term, the constitutional stuff that he wanted to do, mm-hmm. and he basically but did you know didn't want to really just basically say I'm tired and I want to leave. I've had enough. He, he comes up with this idea that, well, I went for a walk in the snow and somehow I got this great revelation that I should quit. You know? I, I, so, so I, and you, you know, he, he was always putting on the press and everybody yeah. else. You know, he, he always had wisecracks. We know that. <laughs> was his government in the same position that Justin Trudeau's is in now? Compare the two at the time. Well, uh, what I would do is say one other thing that's very important. I think that the, the, uh, the elder Trudeau did not want to go up in a campaign or didn't even think he needed to because the conservatives, the progressive conservatives then had a leader who was from Quebec, Brian Mulroney. And I think he respected Brian Mulroney. They both at that Hmm. time were worried about Quebec uh, wanting to leave Confederation. And so he essentially, they were often in a way not very far apart in terms of their views of how the country should be run. Look today, I'm sure the liberals and Justin does not have respect for the the conservative leader that he that 
they're facing. They don't mm-hmm. like. He really doesn't like him, uh, and and essentially he doesn't want to see uh, someone like, you know, the conservative leader get become prime minister. So uh, that's also, I think, also a, a consideration between the two of them. Uh, what do you think the prime, the elder prime minister uh, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau would think of his son's relationship with the NDP and Pharmacare? I think, oh well, I mean, he at times he 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 did things that were you know what the NDP might do, and sometimes even more. I mean, he he would you know there were there were especially there were things in you know in the social area, and also he knew that the NDP essentially supported his agenda to make sure we could keep Quebec in the uh, Confederation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I who's think- smarter? Do you think Henry? Who do you think smarter, Pierre? Who do you think smarter, Pierre or Justin? Oh, I mean, Pierre was a brilliant man. I mean, had, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. There was no question about it. Uh, you know, he he's, he's very different. Uh, you know, and he, um, I mean, but a son, on the other hand, is a person who I think is a much more sympathetic and, uh, uh, you know, wants to make people feel good. He worries about people, you know, everybody being feeling they're included in the in the in Canada. You know, so much for uh, for his father. His father figured really that the real important people that had to be, you know, taken care of were the were the were the francophones in Quebec. And he really didn't have sympathy at times. Well, look what he what he would say to the farmers uh, when they would complain he wasn't doing enough to uh, support the wheat industry. And he, you know, he would say, "Well, why should I? Why should I uh, support? Why should I sell your wheat?" You know that he couldn't. Mm, Justin would yeah. never say anything like that. You know, he 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 tries to be nice to everybody. Maybe too nice. Henry Jasek. Henry Jason with us, Professor Emeritus, Political Science, McMaster University, the 40th anniversary of Pierre Elliott Trudeau's Walk in the Snow, or thereabouts. Henry, thank you for the time. Be well. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. It's uh, just downright embarrassing uh, what's happening in Stony Creek over the great parking lot debate, uh, which has pitted extremist against extremists as we try to debate what's more important, the car or a home, which is probably the stupidest statement I've heard anybody say. And what we don't seem to find from our politicians at City Hall, and maybe I'm being unfair, is why can't we do both? Um, clearly, there's a need for parking in downtown Stony Creek. Clearly, there's a need for housing. So why can't we do both? Why is this always an either-or discussion from one extreme or the other? Why can't we do both? Do both. Do it all and get it done, as opposed to saying, well, no, maybe there's a better alternative over here, which is really just another lengthy distraction, uh, distraction rather, from the project at hand. It's called death by delay. Larry DeAnne with us, former mayor of Hamilton here now. Larry, your thoughts on the great Stony Creek parking debate? <laughs> we always seem to want to debate and fight over issues, don't we, rather than looking I know. Can't we do both here? Can't we do both, Larry? Well, so so here's, and of course, you know, I live in Stony Creek. I, I shop at some mm-hmm. of the shops. Uh, I park in, in, in that parking lot uh, on occasion if I can't find some alternatives. Um, so I know the area very, very well. I uh, represented it when I was on local council and then, of course, on the city council as well. So I, I do know the area. Here's the, here are the errors that have been made. The answer is yes, we can do both. But here are the errors that have been made. Um, uh, council uh, directed staff to come up with locations. You know, wherever the city owns property, is it possible to put a, uh, what they're calling affordable housing uh, on those properties? And, and nobody's really defined what affordable really means. But nevertheless, let's assume that they do have a definition. And so uh, they came and they presented to council uh, these two parcels, uh, which are currently parking lots. Nobody was informed of, of that, not even the local councillor, apparently. He had to fight um, because he was uh, blindsided. He had to fight to delay the decision initially so that he could have a consultation with the community. And that's where the uh, the sort of controversy begins, because I'm told over 200 people showed up, uh, both business owners in the area and residents, 200 people, with pitchforks 
single to day right so now here's the counselor what's he supposed to do he's got a, 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 a huge number of of his constituents saying nobody knew about this you didn't even know about this why yeah. are they imposing this on us and have, have they thought about the implications to the businesses around there because it is a downtown stony creek area uh filled mostly uh not exclusively but mostly with with the uh, small mom and pop shops who rely on that to attract customers. So so an error was was committed. I mean, did we learn nothing from the tiny homes debate where we had a revolution in the north end of Hamilton uh, for the very same reason? Nobody was informed. The, the city wanted to, to slam it into uh, uh, into uh, uh, people's uh, uh, neighborhoods without any kind of um, any kind of information given to them ahead of time so that they could digest and build some support. That's the problem. The uh, other issue, of course, in terms of doing both, and I've seen some of the letters uh, in the newspaper, why can't they build uh, parking underground and so on? Well, it's the economics that prevent that from happening, the economics, uh, because when you build uh, parking underground, uh, what you want as an affordable home I may not be that affordable if you have to build in that cost. So really, the, the answer is, um, can you find a location that's nearby, also shovel-ready, shovel also owned by the city, that might accommodate the same, the same function? Uh, it'll make the people in the downtown Sunny Creek happy, never mind this fight about cars and where the priority is. Yeah. But if you can accomplish it while making people happy, uh, the the merchants in the downtown area, um, and while building some affordable homes, and there are locations where that can happen. The other issue, just last word for me um, on this, is that of course, council is being a little uh, disingenuous because didn't they just turn down a project in uh, Ward Three where a developer was going to build something for free and give it to the city? Yeah, uh, you're right. Because it didn't have enough trees or whatever the controversy uh, was there. So, you know, you, you can't be talking out of both sides of your mouth. You can't be saying we're going to impose something on merchants who don't want it while ignoring a, uh, a business person who's going to turn uh, something over to the city free of charge for some other concessions on other buildings that he may wish to, to do. And, and, that, and that isn't the right kind of governance, I don't think. Are there alternatives in Sunny Creek? There are. Uh, it's step by delay, Larry. And at the end of the day, you talk about all of these great ideas and such. And five years from now, nothing will be changed. The cars, will, the cars will still be parking there, and there'll still be nothing built. It just it amazes me to no end how we just go around and around and around looking for a utopia that isn't there instead of finding a solution. Right, and so and so, I, I totally agree with you, Scott. And so when, when you start having a fight over a particular um, issue, whether it's a stadium and the location for a stadium, whether it's LRT or not LRT, or whether it's, you know, these two parking lots, you're, you're delaying things and you're not yeah. getting things done. Can you just move on and, and reach some consensus, consensus and agreement with people? and find somewhere where there's an easier path rather than the hardest path. Larry Diani with us, former mayor, city of Hamilton. Why can't we do it all? Why can't we do both? As always, Larry, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. The game continues. Where's Waldo? Where's the prime minister? You know, some big announcements today. The NDP Pharmacare thing was announced. Uh, and uh, our, our treasury minister announcing they're going to refocus their financing on things like military, housing, and, and health care. What? And the prime minister is nowhere to be found. Let's bring in Tasha Carradine. Maybe she's seen him. Principal at Navigator and author of The Right Path with us now. Tasha, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, thank you. Yes, I am. Have you seen Waldo? No, I don't know where he is either. I mean, you know, yeah, right. Thunder Bay is getting money for housing and Manitoba is getting money for 
green projects and all sorts of things are going on, but he's um, he's hiding. He's like the groundhog. He's not out yet. Well, are you surprised he didn't make... We had uh, Jagmeet Singh on Friday. Lucky to land that with the big announcement on Pharmacare. He was uh, over the moon, and I was so surprised the Prime Minister or nobody in the Liberal Party was even talking about it uh, over the course of the weekend or the prior to the weekend or such, and then he's not around for this announcement. Are you surprised? Well... You know, there was some speculation. Is he going to take a walk in the snow like his father did uh, many, many moons ago on the same day? Uh, I, I'm not sure if he's ready to walk in the snow. I think that the snow is, is falling pretty hard, though. It's, you know, it's, it's been a very green winter for most of the country, at least out here. Um, but it's, uh, when it comes to political snow, it's falling thick and fast. And the government, you know, the polls are just getting worse. So I really think that this blizzard of announcements is, you know, to use another pun, um, might be an attempt to, to bring things back. But I don't know if he, as a as a leader, can be rehabilitated. I really do feel his time is kind of coming to a close. We just don't know when that is. Uh, well, you know, obviously, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I've got a secret fantasy about the walk in the snow and this all happening. I've got celebration lined up. I got 1999 prints. I got all these New Year's Eve sh- songs lined up to play and thinking, well, he's gone to, he's gone to Thunder Bay. So there must be snow there, even though the canal's thawing and such. Um, is this, is this an obvious plan during these announcements? Also with the scandal that's coming out today in regard to what's going on with the Winnipeg lab and such you'd think he would be forefront with any of this is this a planned low-keyed moment maybe or maybe it's to showcase other people in his team um you know Mm -hmm. this is the problem is that what comes after trudeau that's that's the issue is like everyone speculated oh well christian freeland uh anita anand uh um you know other members of of cabinet mark there's been mark carney speculation that it, the, the big question is, who would it be? Who could fill his shoes? So one of the problems is that he's given people a lot of space to do things. I mean, Christian Freeland has been pretty much running the country in many ways ever since she was appointed. But he still would take you know, ownership of many files and take mm-hmm. be front and center. So the, if there is going to be a transition, name recognition is a problem for a lot of people. They know who Trudeau is, but they don't all know who, you know, Anita Anand is, even, you know, he demoted her. But the point is that these folks are not household names. So if the liberals are smart, they will start putting people in the window before he takes that walk in the snow. Uh, with the Treasury Minister making the announcement today, and again, I, was, I, I couldn't keep up with all of this today that was going on, um, she was announcing a refocusing of money. We're going to refocus what we've got on, and it was military, housing, and health care. Housing yeah. and health care, I guess, isn't surprising, but to hear, hear the military was a part of that? Uh, are you surprised? No, not at all. I mean, our, we've been... We've been behind the eight ball on this, um, ignoring what's been going on in the world for years now, and it's coming home to roost. I don't think it's an accident. Um, I think our our friends down south are, you know, giving us a little nudge too, and not just I'm not talking about Donald Trump and his comments about yeah. people who don't pay in their NATO bills, but um, there's a sense, you know, Europe's preparing for war, and uh, we're talking about sending troops into Ukraine. Right. Non-combat troops from Canada, perhaps. But still, Putin's very clear. You put troops in Ukraine. We're at war. So we have to be ready. And we're not. And it's, it's been this kind of Pollyanna attitude that, that the world is you know, going to not that it's going to be peace in our lifetime constantly. It's not. And many powers are, are looking at this and saying, yeah, we're we are we're already in a cyber war. We've been for quite a while. We've been in an influence war quite a while. But the actual actual war. Luckily, we haven't been in, but we will. I am convinced. And so we have to be ready for when that happens. More information coming out on the situation regarding the two scientists in the Winnipeg lab. Uh, Pierre Polyev making a lot of hay today uh, about information that they had received, that they had known, that there was uh, business going on that shouldn't be, that wasn't above board. Uh, this was all prior to the last election, which we know there was alleged interference in by the Chinese Communist Party, and also around the time of the Chinese vaccine that the Prime Minister was working on that ended up getting pulled out from uh, underneath him. Yeah. What are your thoughts on all of this and the timing of it, the timeline? Well, the timeline doesn't look good, quite frankly. I mean, this, this government has for years ignored reports by CSIS. We know this. Um, that's why they were all leaked, because no one was acting on them, that there was Chinese interference at multiple levels, whether it was political 
or in this case, uh, technological, scientific. We know elite capture has been a thing. Um, so they think the prime minister has been quite conveniently captured. Uh, and when you talk about elite capture, isn't, isn't that people wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to do what China wants me to. It's that you bring influence to bear in different ways to shape their way of thinking about the world and thinking that, you know, China is uh, recently a, a speech was made by Dominic Barton, for example, who spoke out and said, you know, we should, we should listen to more of what China's doing and what they're telling us and their model of doing things. Well, you know, people have been influenced to to say things that are beneficial to the Chinese state and their way of looking at the world, which is totally antithetical to ours, quite frankly. Um, so this has been going on. And I think that we are waking up. Things are coming out. The timeline, like you said, it, it's very it's very poor. And I always wondered why we were on board with Sinovac and the, the idea of a, of a Chinese-based vaccine was very, yeah. very strange. Um, but it doesn't look good for this government. And with the commission going on now, too, on foreign interference, it really begs the question. That commission is, honestly, it's way too small. It's covering off just two elections. It needs to look at much more than it's doing right now. You really need a program to keep up. It's just one thing you after do. another. Uh, and, and, you know, it's the common denominator is mismanagement. Uh, Tasha Kiridin with us, principal at Navigator, author of The Right Path. Tasha, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Okay. Thank you, Scott. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. The Canadian Press headline says it all. Fired microbiology lab scientists' loyalty of grave concern to officials. New records show. Uh, this involving, of course, the uh, National uh, National Microbiology Laboratory in Winnipeg. Two scientists at a high-security lab in Winnipeg lost their job, sent packing when they found failed to pre- they failed to protect sensitive assets and information newly released records show us the scientists who are a husband and wife team had their security clearances uh, taken away over questions of their loyalty to Canada and the potential of coercion or exploitation by a foreign entity uh, meaning the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, more than 600 pages made public Wednesday following a special all-party review of the records however uh, not sure if this sheds any light on why the two were actually sent packing. Let's bring in Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, former CSIS analyst and here now. Phil, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am, Scott. This might be our first leap day conversation we've ever had. <laughs> and I bet it won't be the last, uh, especially when we're talking about this stuff. Well, probably not. Uh, so uh, your thoughts on this, and uh, obviously we have chatted about this Winnipeg lab in the past. The timeline here is a bit concerning in the sense that this was prior to the last election, of which there is alleged interference by the Chinese Communist Party. Also, well, uh, while the, I don't know what was going on between China and um, and the government of the day trying to come up with a vaccine from China, we, end up, we all know what happened there. They ended up walking away with the intellectual property, and that was that. So what are your thoughts on where we are in this information that has uh, made its way to the media today? Oh, God, where do we start? Um, yeah. Pursuant to our, our our previous conversation, Scott, it's one more example of a, a serious breach of national security, a serious breach of uh, a level four lab, which, you know, to remind your listeners, it's because it's a pretty serious stuff there that we don't yeah. want to leak out to the wrong people. And for me, the overarching question, you talk about timeline, um, what did CSIS know? When did they provide it to the government? And, and did the government listen? Because we know that they ignored intelligence on Chinese election interference you referred to. So, you know, I, I know CSIS was probably on this file at, at some point. They are the ones that, you know, recommend security clearances or not. Were the recommendations ignored, like intelligence ignored? So an awful lot has been made known, but an awful lot has not been made. And I think for me, it's like, what did the government know and when? And what did they decide to do or rather not do with that information? It seemed that everything sort of came to a head at once, whether it was the vaccine, uh, whether it was this stuff, whatever. It, it just seemed to all happen around the same time. Is, is, there, is, the, is that a coincidence? Is How does that factor in? Hard to say. I, I mean, China, as you mentioned, has been up to this. And I was listening to your previous uh, speaker as well on the show. They've been doing this, uh, you know, forever. Uh, and so it should be of no surprise to us that China does steal our technology. They do steal our, our intellectual property. And so is it a coincidence? Eh, really hard to say, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a threat here for a long time, and the government has just seemed to not con- take it seriously. And 
maybe we'll find out more, maybe we won't. But to me, the bottom line is, again, and I've said this a thousand times, and I apologize for being repetitive, Scott, uh, we have a piss-poor uh, intelligence culture here in this country and a government that doesn't take the information it gets from CSIS seriously. Do we know why the, the the two scientists were actually sent packing? Has there been any specifics on that? Not that I'm aware of, but I'm guessing that, you know, again, uh, I'm guessing it was intelligence that CSIS and or other agencies had found out what they were really up to, what their what their true allegiances were, uh, and they passed that on. And then when, when the government finally opened its inbox, maybe, and, and read its information, they decided that, hey, maybe we shouldn't have these people have access to this level four lab. Uh, I'm guessing it has to be pretty serious information to dismiss them, but the nature of their information will probably never be made public, unfortunately. Uh, what about any damage done? Do we know? Did it matter? Did they catch it in time? Uh, what about the damage done here? That's the most important question, the one to which we'll probably never get an answer, Scott. Look, the horse bolted from this barn a long time ago. The fact that these people have been expelled, they're no longer there. We don't may, may not know how much they know, how much they passed on. And more importantly, we're not sure what China's going to do with it. Uh, will they use it for their own intellectual ad- property advantage? Probably. Uh, you know, China's not a friend of Canada. Could they pass it on to somebody else? Possibly. The problem is, is that if you don't have a good oversight in terms of what what your intel is and you don't have access to the sources, it's next to impossible to determine what the ultimate end game is here. And, uh, you know, um, the government uh, was asleep at the switch for far too long. And as a consequence, we just we can't measure the nature of the impact. And more importantly, Scott, the damage to our reputation amongst our allies as a trustworthy partner when it comes to biotechnology, um, viruses of this nature, and uh, our ability to uh, ensure national security and that of our allies. You talked about being asleep at the switch. Are you confident this lab is secure now that these correct these uh, issues have been corrected? That it's now squeaky clean. Oh, if I was confident at that level, Scott, I'd I'd, I'd be lying to you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether they're going to take this to heart. Uh, we we know the government dismissed intelligence on interference for so long. We have a public inquiry that's become a joke. I don't know whether they're going to learn any lessons, Scott. If if any if past performance is indicative of, of future performance, the answer is probably not. Um, because we have a government that doesn't seem to take this stuff seriously. I hope they've learned, and I hope they do. They put in place better measures, but there's no guarantee on that front, unfortunately. What about getting to this point? How did this couple get into the lab? <laughs> How did they qualify for this gig? Well, they showed up at the door and knocked on and say, hi, I'm you know Bob and Joe, and we'd like to work here. No, I really have no idea. Um, I would assume that for access to this kind of material, there has to be some kind of a vetting procedure. Uh, again, I don't know who's responsible for that vetting procedure. Normally, it's, it's CSIS that does security clearances. I'm not sure exactly what Public Health Associ- or, um, Agency of Canada does. Does it do their own? I have no idea. Does it ask CSIS? I have no idea. But you'd like to think that at least some background check was done. And if that background check did turn up things of concern, especially when it comes to China, let's face it, Scott, anybody with links to China has to be looked into because of the possibility of of influence by the Chinese Communist Party, as you said at the outset. I I don't know. This is all serious stuff. And I I sincerely hope at least procedures are in place and were followed. And if not, they better put some pretty good damn good procedures in place going forward. Reaction from China to all of this, because obviously the relationship has changed. China would say, who, us? We, you're accusing us of stealing Canadian technology? That's terrible. I, I, am, I am, you know, you besmirched my reputation as a, you know, the People's Republic of China, which you need to take that with a box of salt, right? I mean, they know they're doing it. We know they're doing it. Let's stop pretending. And so ignore China's reaction and let's, let's help to make our country more secure by not uh, falling prey to it in the future. Are you surprised today when Anita and Ann announced that they're refocusing funds in the government, and we're sort of veering off topic here, uh, but to include military as well as housing and and uh, health care? Uh, mili- I, I don't think I've ever heard military, those words come out from a, a, a treasury or anybody involved in money of this government. I'm not sure the government can spell military, Scott. Look, at it. we've been embarrassed on the national stage. You know, we have people like Rick Hillier, retired general, saying we're becoming irrelevant. Uh, NATO was asking serious questions about us, so are the Five Eyes. The Prime Minister goes to Poland and says we're going to spend more on the military after he said we have no intention of meeting the 2% floor for NATO spending. I don't know what it means, Scott. Let's hope they're serious about it, but uh, we'll have to wait and see if, in fact, there's any, you know, they've said this publicly, but is, is there any action behind it? Uh, that'll be for another podcast between you and me.
Phil Gursky with us, President of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, former CSIS analyst, talking about the information coming up now, coming up now regarding uh, the Winnipeg lab leak and two scientists that were sent walking. Phil, thanks for the time and insight. Always appreciate it. Be well. You too, sir. Enjoy your leap day. You know what I think of Scott Radley? I think of Vikings. Men walking around with horns on their head, that sort of thing. It is 5.50. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson, Hamilton Today. Coming up after the 6 o'clock news, the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's here now. Scott, I hope you're doing well. Well, I was. (laughs) (laughs) I was until I pictured myself with one of those horn helmets and, you know, married to a large opera singer while also wearing one of those horn helmet things. And yeah. Yeah. With a, a couple on her chest. No, let's not even go there. Um. You know, I just had the visual of the uh, uniform in my mind. All right, let's move on. So what did you want to talk about today? Oh, yeah, Scott, you know what? It is- There's a ton of stuff today, and the prime minister is nowhere to be found. It, I said this to someone the other day, and it's, it's an old cliche, and I generally don't like cliches, but I think this applies, is that these days, doing this job is like drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> there is so much stuff coming at you yeah. and I'm not, I mean, whether it's in Ottawa, whether it's here in Hamilton, whether it's in the, at Queens park, I mean, it is, it is impossible to keep up with all the stuff that's going on right now. And so, you know, it, I'm not sure yet what are going to be the things that slide under the carpet or slip by us. And then later on, we're going to say, oh, we didn't really cover that. Well, it's because there's just, like, I don't know, Scott, it, it is the China lab thing from Winnipeg, the biggest story today. Yeah. It yeah, would, yeah, I, yeah. I would think it would be up there, but is that the thing that's going to grab people's attention? What about the cyber attack in Hamilton or yep. what are, what about, as you say, the prime minister not being around or what about the, the pharmacare, pharmacare bell, bell came or, out. Yep. It's, it's just, it's impossible to deal with everything. I do, and I don't think it's planned, although I don't know, maybe it is to try and get some things to slip by. I don't know. I've got like, you know, you talked about the Chinese lab thing today. Uh, the uh, liberals in announcing the NDP pharmacare thing and the prime minister nowhere to be found. Uh, also, Anita and Anne announcing a refocus on their spending and focusing on the military, housing and health care. And then the other one was uh, the Winnipeg lab. We already talked about that. And the Arrive Can. Arrive Can, yeah. Which we never, I never even got to that today. And apparently somebody in the government was part of the consortium that got some of this money. It was actually an employee. Yeah. So it, there's all kind like there's stuff that we just never even got to. It, it is truly remarkable all the stuff that is. The going wheels on. are literally falling off this government. Well, it's but but Scott, it's I mean yes, I, it does sound it, it is rather stunning that it seems that at least once a week and sometimes more at least every every week we have some new thing going on seemingly coming out of Ottawa where you're shaking your head saying, how is this possible? That, that is, that is, it it does suggest that things are not in full control, that things are beginning. And this happens with, let's be honest, it happens with every government in time, it seems Mm -hmm. where, where you begin to lose control of things. You're not as locked down and whatever, but it's, it's, it's just everywhere. And so this one, I mean, I, I don't know if people are going to be wildly bent out of shape, like I'm not talking about government people, I mean, people, people are going to be wildly bent out of shape about this lab thing. It's an enormous, unbelievable breach in my mind that I don't know how something like this happened. And it all happened around the time of uh, the Chinese and Trudeau working on a vaccine, which they pulled the intellectual property and told them to hit the road. And that went out the window. And it was also just before the last election, which is, of course, there's allegations of alleged Chinese Communist Party interference. So the timeline here is just absolutely bizarre. And again, you know, is the average Canadian citizen going to focus on that? Probably not. But, but it's just another thing, Scott, that when we yeah. have this foreign interference, and I would count this as kind of into that. Sure uh, it is. That, that another reason why this foreign interference inquiry, where the people in opposition are not even allowed to ask questions or have standing at this thing, it's going to be another thing that you got to believe efforts are going to be made to make this thing go away very quickly and quietly. And, and here's the real challenge. Pierre Polyev, we all know what the polls are saying right now. 
If you're the conservatives right now, you, you've got, what, a year and a half almost yep. until the mandated next election. How do you, how do you not only just get out of the way and let the liberals continue to do this to themselves? Cause you don't yeah. need to do anything. How do you no. stay out of the way? You want to stay relevant, but you don't want to get in the way of the liberals doing this to themselves. But then how do you decide which are the things that when election time comes around, you're going to turn into the narrative and the points you're going to drive home because it's like there's so many, you, you, you've watered down the problems. I, I don't even, if I'm in the conservative caucus room or the conservative attack room, I don't yeah. even know now which, how do you keep ones, it up? How, which ones I decide to focus on because there seem to be so many things right now. And, you know, I think the biggest challenge, and you alluded to this, is, and I'm sure this is why JT isn't retiring, he's just going to run out the game clock because the other team can always make a mistake. And the conservatives are notorious for shooting themselves in the foot at the last minute. So I guess on one hand, I, I can't argue with them running out the game clock, just hoping that, you know, something happens and the opposition implodes. I, I, I mean, I know that today, I believe it's today that's the 40th anniversary of Justin Trudeau. Yes, okay, so we talked about it all day and we okay. haven't seen him. So we're thinking he's walking mm. in the snow. His itinerary says that he is in Thunder Bay. There's snow up there. There, there must snow. be. I, I don't know. Here's the thing I was wondering about. I don't know that Justin Trudeau would hang his party completely out to dry. I don't, but my, and the reason I mentioned that he's is because, doing it. Well, I, okay. But I mean, in a, even in a bigger way, because what if the polls, what if Pierre Polyev doesn't make a mistake? And what if five months out from an election or right before the election call or six months, the polls are looking like this or even worse? Is he going to allow himself to run and potentially be obliterated and humiliated or five, six months out, does he then yeah. say, I resign, I'm handing it off. Now you've got to have a leadership convention. You've got to find someone. Then you're really dumping a load of poop onto whoever follows behind you. I don't know. I don't know if I think he would do that. But I also find it very hard to believe that if the polls are looking like this going into an election, that he will let himself face the music that probably would be coming if it's still looking like this. I find that so hard to believe. That's an interesting point. We'll have to wait and see. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word via email from Steve. Maybe JT is not visible today because of the Winnipeg Chinese scientist scandal. Seems Polly Ebb would have torn a fistful of curlies from the poor Justin over this. I smell a personal day coming tomorrow for JT. As ever, Steve. Keep right except to pass. 